0: Welcome to the Raising the Vibration podcast, where I, your host, Mike Toner, go behind the scenes with many of our favorite DJs to bring you an insight into their lives, their passions, and the challenges they face outside of music world. In this episode, Kos tells us how
1: lockdown and not being able to DJ out has affected his work in the studio. I've, I've come to realize that a lot of the music that I make is actually feeding off the experiences that I have. How a rigorous touring lifestyle was taking its toll on his mental health. I remember on the flight from Tokyo to LA, I had an an anxiety attack, which I've never had in my life before. How there is no amount of training that can prepare you for life on the road. It seems to be given that people can handle that, and obviously nobody really can. How his expert culinary skills ultimately came from giving back and three times a week we'd cook for the homeless and for people that didn't have much money.
0: And the power of food to trigger memories.
1: I was super happy, I was in a good place, and I I remember eating the dish, and suddenly I just had tears flying out my eyes.
0: Welcome to the Raising the Vibration podcast. I'd like to start by acknowledging that we are broadcasting this podcast from the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation who are the traditional custodians of this land. I would like to pay our respect to the elders past, present and future and extend that respect to other indigenous Australians present. Our next guest heals from Denmark and while many know him for his millions of record sales, infamous 10-hour DG sets or his incredibly emotive-filled techno, to me, he's our favourite honorary Irish man, who is just as much a demon on the barbecue as he is in the studio, a claim backed up by the fact he was celebrity and celebrity Master Chef, and I think from memory came runner up. Is that correct?
1: Exactly twice, actually. <laughs> twice, that's
0: right. That's right. So Rune Riley Kolsch, how the hell are you, mate?
1: I am absolutely on point, pretty good, uh, incredibly well rested. I've had a year's worth of sleep, so I'm okay. (laughs) I've never never looked younger. (laughs) Amazing. And, yeah,
0: tell me, like, so you're obviously been in Denmark now. How long have you been stuck in Denmark, and how's everything going? Are you guys still in lockdown? Talk to me about what's going on in your life at the moment.
1: So Denmark has been, I mean, it's been on and off on strict lockdown, but realistically right now we're... um, we're, I think we're allowed to gather five people in private events, and they're slowly opening up the restaurants, uh, f- I think from next week or next week again, but only with uh, COVID tests passed or with the vaccine. And since I think we're 3% or 4% in with the vaccine, the, uh, the, the, uh, so it's, it's quite, a, quite a far way to go still. I think realistically, um, it'll be my turnaround august or something like such so uh, hanging in there it's been it's been it's been a weird year i mean i guess compared to the rest of europe we've gotten off fairly easy because the government cracked down on the lockdown very very hard uh not as we, we weren't confined to our apartments but there was everything was just closed so there wasn't anything to do so people have become extremely outdoorsy <laughs> around here yeah it's like a whole thing people are running and hiking and biking and such it's quite fun crazy and how have you coped yourself i
0: mean have you adopted the outdoor lifestyle have you i mean you've you've from what i know of you you've always been into working out and keeping fit and stuff as well like how's your health been
1: my health has been obviously compared to touring my health has been really good especially just the fact that i've been getting regular sleep and I've been trying to work out. Um, For the first couple of months, the gyms were open here and then they closed them off, obviously. Uh, So I've been working out uh, at home uh, with friends and um, also I've gotten into gravel biking a lot lately. I used to mountain bike a lot when I was younger, so I've gotten into gravel biking, which is super nerdy. Crazy. But fun. (laughs) How did you get into that? Uh, Well... Basically, a couple of my friends got into it. And I used to be really heavily into mountain biking when I was younger. So they convinced me to try it. And now it's like two, three times a week, like 40, 50 Ks a time. So it's it's just fun, you know, just getting out.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And getting moving. It was interesting because I listened to a, a podcast by an MMA fighter recently John the guy's called John Jones and he's one of the he's the pound for pound greatest fighter of all time and he's really taken up mountain biking recently because he said it's one of the best things you
1: can do for your reflexes absolutely absolutely it's yeah it's insane what what I mean and what's weird about it is that I haven't really mountain biked for the last I guess 20 years or something and but the the technique is still there I can still reach back and it's kind of muscle memory stuff right (laughs) so it's amazing uh, it's been interesting
0: so good mate, so good and um how are you finding the drop in your schedule because me and you spoke quite a lot when you were in australia about this and we're hanging out your schedule i remember there was one year in particular i think you, i think you and julia told me that you'd done like
1: 200 shows
0: in one year
1: is that correct i guess en- or, end, or, uh, it is end 100 it was 160 or 170 something like that
0: yeah 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 which which is works out like one every second day it pretty was, much i mean was, that's that
1: it was ridiculous. Uh, how, how have
0: you how have, how have you found now? Like the, the, I guess the change in pace and I guess do you plan to go back to that type of lifestyle or is your attitude different to touring?
1: Well, uh, I guess this must have been a couple of years ago. We spoke about this, but uh, f- yeah, I decided uh, shortly after that um, I had a uh, a slip disc. I had some 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 health issues. Um, I. Uh, I I just had some weird weird health issues popping up, and a lot of them turned out to be stress related, uh, because of the the rigorous touring, and I wasn't being able to to keep up with my physical health, but obviously also the mental side of things. So, I decided to cut down to around. Well, the first cut was two hundred twenty shows, which is still way too many, and then yeah. just before lockdown, I was down to around ninety to one hundred. Um, and I gotta say just before lockdown, I usually take, uh, January and February off to sort of recover from, from the touring. Um, and I was still, when we were supposed to start touring in, I was still so tired and so done. So actually the beginning of the lockdown last year was a blessing in disguise for me because I was, I just didn't have the energy left. And the weird thing about it is now saying this. It sounds like I was tired of performing, which is not at all the case. Because the performing was always the best part of it. It was that rigorous traveling, the the uh, the constant touring, and the lack of sleep. But also the complete lack of privacy that you have when you're when you're traveling the world. You know, the constant being on airplanes, the constant being in, in hotels, the constant the constant being surrounded by people. Um, and I've come to realize that I'm I'm a fairly introvert kind of guy I really do enjoy my moments just being alone um and yeah. I've, I've come to appreciate that so I don't think I'll be going back to those insane amounts of touring uh days again yeah. and also I think I want to enjoy touring a little more you know just the fact that when we're hanging out always we have a couple of days together which is so rare for me Yeah, I, I remember being in uh where was I I think I was in Peru and I thought wouldn't it be cool to go and see Machu Picchu and then I looked at the calendar and I played LA the day after it so I was like well no way and it's yeah. all, these, all these situations where you're like why why why? you have such a luxury you it would you have the opportunity to do these things but you never do them because the schedule is just ridiculous and I and I kind of, I really want to work around that to be honest with you because it's been it's been too yeah. much
0: yeah have you thought about any ways you could put in place practices to protect your own time and maybe give you some downtime while you're on the road and not constantly be and like surrounded by people?
1: Well, well, um, they 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 those practices kind of happen on their own. For instance, uh, I used to go out and have dinner with all the promoters that I would play for, but I've had to cut down on that simply because. I needed the mental space or even the time to prepare for a set realistically I've come to realize that I'm not there to please anybody but the audience that's my first and foremost priority when I perform so the most important thing is that the set that I play is perfect for the audience
0: (laughs) yeah I totally appreciate that and I'm sure that um I mean, I'm sure that promoters would appreciate that as well. You know, you, you and I are very good friends, but there's a lot of times when artists are coming out for artist dinner and you can tell sometimes that they don't want to be there. Yeah. And to be honest, if they don't want to be there, I, I don't want to be there either. And you just kind of go like, why Why didn't you just call this? You know, like, I, I think there's this unspoken rule with touring where you have to kind of do this uh, obligatory you know, I guess gesture of being friends, not no, sorry, not being friends, but this gesture of having the dinner together and stuff, but sometimes if the artist just wants to rest, it's better for everybody, and it probably helps her performance as well
1: always yeah it's um yeah it's it's very true i mean there's this 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 unspoken idea that artists are supposed to be unlimited rock and roll and be completely wasted at any given time and be up for any after party and just keep going which is completely unrealistic for anybody who has been touring it just a little bit. You know, When I when I look at the the top 10 of DJs that I know within techno, a lot of them don't even drink anymore and I mean no drugs whatsoever and a lot of them are vegans now because it's the only way they can handle that touring life which is not going to happen to me but <laughs> I <laughs> guess.
0: <laughs> my heart was in my mouth there, I was like you're not going to start dragging me to vegan dinners there are you? <laughs>
1: Although I will say there's but nothing, yeah, there's nothing wrong with vegan or vegetarian food if it's good. That's it.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I I've definitely noticed a theme running through these podcasts, Ruin, with the with the artists I've been talking to is coming out of COVID. I think everybody feels that they need to more be more protective of their health and their mental health mm-hmm. in particular and their sleep. Um a lot of the artists that I've spoken to have said that they need to be like fiercely protective of of their sleep coming out of this yeah. in order to, they've experienced what it's like now to have chill time and regular sleep patterns and stuff. And I think everybody's going to try and make a bit more of a joint effort to make sure that they stay on that path.
1: I think it's going to be a bit of a problem realistically because we're coming into a situation where flight schedules are so off that the, the sleep issues could probably going to be even worse for a while because realistically you don't have the luxury of multiple flights a day to choose between. You're going to have to jump on the one that's available
0: yeah i hadn't thought about that actually that's that's a really good point yeah and it looks like you know there's going to be such a slow burn getting you know getting artists back to australia and then getting tourists in as well which is ultimately going to affect, affect a lot of this flight schedules we have out here for touring and you know we keep having these like snap lockdowns as well which again makes it hard to to get people out and, you know, tour them around the country. Like there was just I mean, a couple of weeks ago Queensland just announced a um a lockdown two day like the lockdown came into place that day and there was a festival called Blues Fest that had to cancel on a day's notice wow. it was like a ten million dollar loss. Whoa. And uh, uh, yeah, but th- there's there's that aspect and then there's also like the yeah, the as you said, the schedules are gonna be way less uh frequent. So how do yeah, you it's gonna I'm... it's gonna be an
1: how do you reckon that insurance is going to be part of all this? Because realistically, how are you going to insure a festival or an event if you don't know if it's going to happen or not?
0: Yeah. So, for example, out here, I know that Ticketmaster, one of the main ticketing companies, or maybe it's Ticket Tech, are putting a, a clause in their tickets basically saying, do not buy a ticket if you're not going to have the vaccine. Um, oh that way they're yeah that 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 way they're 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 going to control who they let in and out effectively Mm. Mm. to stop spread but i know that a lot of the festivals prior to this had no insurance that covered pandemic because it was always something in the small print and something nobody ever really chased up because we hadn't had a pandemic Mm. in so long so I, I genuinely don't think they'll be covered for it um yeah that's it'll, so it'll be, that's uh, tough
1: though especially if you have a government that will on on a whim choose to lock down like yours obviously uh, uh, absolutely absolutely is
0: there is there any parts of the
1: traveling that you miss of course uh, i i miss the human interaction a lot you know I miss the uh the conversation over at beer with you and our our annual uh getting blind for the blind getting blind for the blind <laughs> I miss out to bit, um but you know there there's such such strong relationships and bond that you build over years with people that you really love and, and care about and 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 I've come to realize that most of my friends live abroad uh and and I mean since I haven't been in Copenhagen very much. A lot of my older friends have, you know, gotten families and and everything has been, you know, it's, it's 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 things have happened to them and they can't relate to what it is I'm doing. You know, it's so it, it, it must also be very absurd when you listen to someone talking about flights and uh, and gold cards and whatnot. <laughs> It must be really bizarre, you know. Imagine that if you work in a bank or something and this guy talking about elaborate dinners with weird people abroad that they've never heard about. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Totally. I don't think they be- um, I don't think they believe half the things I say. <laughs>
0: <laughs> hey, d- tell me this. Have you felt any um any kind of pressure to like I guess stay relevant to you know because this thing's dragged on longer Mm. than what anybody anticipated it would and you know have you been social media savvy have you been you, you mentioned to me before we actually started recording there you've recorded a lot of music
1: yeah well um i'd say i've i've tried to keep relevant because the thing is um it it's been it's been a bit of a double edged sword in the sense that a lot I've, I've come to realize that a lot of the music that i make is actually feeding off the experiences that i have so let's say i play in australia with you guys and i have experiences there that will feed into the productions and inspire me to produce music and i think i've told you this before but I, I, all my music has been road tested before it's released so a lot of times i'll play a record for about a year to get it right before i release anything and i haven't been able to do that so the whole fine tuning process of making music has kind of been a big challenge to me i didn't even realize it because i always thought that i was an integrated artist that i could figure this stuff out by my own which was apparently not true anymore so it's it's been a bit it's been a bit of a weird realization having to deal with with inspiration again so I've, I've i've reached far and wide to find something that could substitute that that audience experience that loud music experience and um i've been digging into a lot of weird musical genres and finding inspiration other places but also when it comes to social media for the mm. first long time of the lockdown I'd, I'd stream every sunday and then uh i had to move studios and the setup wasn't ready and i i, I just didn't feel right anymore you know I, I felt so awkward standing in front of a camera playing records for myself essentially and and i could just feel that also people weren't really all that much into it And i think people were a bit of they were kind of maybe they were sad that they they, they couldn't experience the whole party thing and they wanted to distance themselves from the music i don't know there is obviously some psychology going on there that i don't understand fully but i kind of lost it a little bit myself so i started producing more I've I've been in a studio I've made so many records and I released an album what is it a month ago uh which was made completely in lockdown called Isopolis um but that being said I probably haven't been as social media savvy as I should have been but I guess that comes back yeah. to the fact that I'm I'm I, I, I'm I'm more I'm more of an introvert kind of guy you know I need that input to be able to come up with something that is inspiring to me
0: yeah totally totally i mean i guess there's quite a lot of people that i have spoken to who have really studied sorry um, struggled to be creative and even make any music at all because because of exactly what you're saying the human interaction but it sounds like you've at least laid the foundation for a bunch of stuff that you probably just need to fine tune mm-hmm. and then you can tweak it and and, and get it out there
1: Absolutely. I mean, thankfully, the creativity is is is, is good. Uh, I've 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 always found it really interesting to seek inspiration in other genres of music. I had a long period of time when I was flirting with neoclassical, and I was way into symphonies and such. And lately, it's been more abstract. I've been very interested in in free jazz. I've been digging into John Coltrane and stuff like that, um, mostly because that's that's where you can find something now i love the idea of trying to reinvent something to 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 reset the boundaries for what techno can be uh which there are no real boundaries for that but i think we're all a little bit what's the next thing what is what is the next because it's it's always become such a weird retrospective genre every year there's you know like this reflux of chicago sounding records or techno from the 90s sounding records and I, I I think it's a little bit depressing that we're not looking to the future more in the sense that we're trying to create something new and that's what I've spent the year on trying to define and redefine what is this music that I've dedicated my life to and what can it be at least.
0: Amazing and would you say Rune you've got like you've been more creative since you've had the time and you've not been traveling all the time or do you think not having that connection week in week out with the audience has hindered your creativity slightly.
1: Well, as mentioned before, it's two things. I think, uh, if we're talking from a an isolated hermit crab kind of point of view, I'd say <laughs> I, I, I'd say more creative in the sense that I've been able to experiment a lot more, which I haven't been able to for many many years. But when it comes to, to being assured that the stuff I make isn't absolute crap I have no idea <laughs> realistically it could S- be terrible send it all to me <laughs> mate I'll, <give, laughs> I'll, I'll send it all to me I'll judge it for you <laughs> <laughs> but just imagine like just imagine uh, you come out of this I've, uh, funnily enough I've been speaking to yours phone a lot about it. just imagine we come out of this and all of a sudden there's been an undercurrent of something changing within the audience and all the stuff that I'm playing is is absolute shit to them <laughs>
0: <laughs> that will never happen my man because I know pretty much everything you send me I have, I have it I'm playing it in a club if you, want, if you want me to test drive anything for you send it out to me because I'm doing loads of gigs I and will. lots of my friends are doing lot. <laughs> it's interesting because we've had lots of the artists who are releasing music sending us stuff saying to us can you play this track and can you try and get some video footage of the crowd reacting to it? Because it's the only promo we can have at the minute is you guys in Australia playing our music. So it's true. Yeah, I've, it's true. I've, I've been coming out, coming in from Revolver every Sunday, uploading and tagging loads of yeah. the artists who've been sending me music to and saying, "Hey, yeah, it got a good reaction." Yeah, or like if I, if I don't tag it, you know what? Kinda of didn't do that well on the dance floor. But
1: it's yeah. so, it's actually so funny because I've been seeing this tendency that that. Um, I've been playing a lot of demos in in a lot of my streams and uh, a lot of the the younger kids are trying to sort of uh, leverage that for, for promotion value. So they'll cut out the piece where I'm playing the demo in the set and they'll promote it as in Kulsh played this record. Which is obviously a cool thing, and I don't mind at all, but it does look a little bit yeah. underwhelming, me standing there in the studio. <laughs> it's, not, it's not the same as you on, like,
0: main stage no, ultra exactly. with 20,000 people. Exactly. <laughs> uh, hey, tell me, what have you, now that you've been in lockdown for so long and kind of confined, what have you learned about yourself over this period?
1: Oh, Jesus Christ. Um, what have I learned about myself? It's, uh, it was already happening before, actually. I had, um, during the rigorous touring that we spoke about before, um, I, 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 there were issues when I was flying. I remember very vividly actually coming off playing a tour for you in Australia where I flew in from playing in somewhere in Europe and I had to fly out directly to go and play in L.A., Uh, And, and I remember flying from, I was, the flight was over Tokyo. And I remember on the flight from Tokyo to LA, I had, uh, an, an anxiety attack, which I've never had in my life before. And, and it was so overwhelming and dramatic that, uh, I realized that I just, I needed to do something about it. And, and the thing is, I guess it goes with all artists. There are two, two issues here. One thing is that our hobbies become our lives. So it's so easy just to dive in and only make music and only focus on, on that life and only be in that realm. And it just easily takes up all your time. And I don't necessarily think that's particularly healthy for you as a person on, on your psyche, but also I don't think it makes you a better artist because there's only so and so much you can do and then you have to get get other inspiration or figure out another way to 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 continue that that, that artistic creativity that's one thing but also there's the other side of it is that a lot of DJs especially within the last 20 years uh, are fairly introvert nerdy people and they've been thrown on stage in front of 10,000 people if they've had a big record and just Oh here you go. And none of us ever had a clue what to do there. You know, I've I've I've, I've always enjoyed performing. I don't mind the attention, but realistically the repercussions uh, of that attention and also the contrast between playing for x amount of people and then being alone in a hotel room the, like 5 minutes after is hard to deal with. And I think there should be some sort of support system for this, which there isn't. I know there is for for bands. I know there is for uh, performing artists such as singers or or public personalities. But within our scene, it seems to be given that people can handle that. And obviously, nobody really can because it's just crazy. You know, there are two ways to go about it. Either you start abusing uh, alcohol, drugs, whatever you want, or you become weird. (laughs) That's like the two ways you can go. Uh, and
0: I, I, you've always been the nice kind of weird to me. <laughs>
1: thank you. <laughs> but you know what I mean. It's just that there, there is no instruction to this, you know. Which, which always, I've always wondered about this. The prime example being somebody like Avicii, who was a, a kid in in Stockholm, sitting in his in his room, producing records and enjoying it very much. And suddenly he had to perform, and he's, what do you do, you know? Yeah. Thankfully, totally. thank well, well. Thankfully, for us in our genre, the performance isn't as scrutinized as let's say in, 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 in more commercial genres in the sense that let's say you go to see an EDM artist is if the if the visuals and the lights are are not on point and he doesn't play your particular hit record, you could be royalty pissed off. But I mean if I if I play ten hours it's not that important.
0: <laughs> yeah. Totally, totally. And and Runa, what what supports have you developed now that you've been at home and had time to reflect on this? What what do you think you can do take moving forward? to ensure that you've kept a balance between keeping your mental health right and, and, for example, walking off those big stages and going to the hotel room. Is there anything you feel you can do now? Have you got more tools in the
1: toolbox? Absolutely. Uh, first of all, scheduling is obviously important. As, as, as you mentioned yourself, just being able to take that time off is is, is is extremely important. Also, if I want to be doing this for a couple of years still, I need to really focus on on taking just saying no to shows the the problem is i guess for a lot of artists is that we all come from having no money at all and you develop this this weird uh, grab and go mentality you like oh it's just another show oh wow that's an, an insane amount of money to, just to play another show and then it just takes over that the whole god that's just so much money i never had that money before in my life and then you just it's just so easy to say yes and then suddenly you're you're hanging on the edge of your your health um and it's a luxury problem obviously i understand that because a lot of people are dreaming of having a life like mine but i think there comes a point where you just have to realize that you can't say yes to everything
0: yeah yeah i heard john digweed say one time that you don't get paid a lot of money to dj you get paid a lot of money to do all the other shit that surrounds djing all the travel and all the exactly meeting people and all the all the dinners and all the other stuff that you would prefer not to do if you had your choice on your own free time. Exactly.
1: I've got to say, that's what I meant yeah. with, with the lack of privacy. I mean, the... Uh- yeah that they, it's it's bizarre being surrounded by people all the time, especially if you're feeling shit, if you're hungover.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, well, I'll make sure you've got plenty of privacy when you come back, but <laughs> you're I not know. getting privacy from me. I'll be, I'll be dragging you, and I'm hanging for a cold one with you, mate.
1: No, no, look, that's it, 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 now as I mentioned before, coming to Australia is different because we always have a couple of days there, and there's loads of time to do other things. What I'm talking about is... For instance, traveling mainland Europe where you have four or five shows four or five days in a row and it's different countries. That's the tough part because there's just no time to recuperate. And and often it will be two, three hours sleep uh, and then moving on to the next one. And that's that's where it really hits you hard.
0: I I remember looking at one of your old schedules one time and seeing that you had, I think you were in five countries in three days doing, sorry, three countries in five days. Five countries in three days, maybe. You, you were You were in two countries two days in a row and then another country. And I was just looking going, oh my God, this is just relentless. And I, I was actually looking at your schedule going, where do you actually sleep in this? Because you'd, finish, you'd finished at like 4 a.m. and then there was an 8 a.m. flight to do like a to get somewhere to, get a, to play a festival during the day, then to leave that evening and fly to another country to do a club show that night. Hmm. And I was just going, my God, you know, like I, I don't think I could do this for one weekend, let alone <laughs> like, you know, backing up week after week, you know.
1: That's exactly the stuff I want to avoid. For, I mean, it's just... Yeah, um, yeah. But also, also um, and I guess a lot of it also comes down to that I want to focus more on doing my own thing, uh, like doing more Ipso shows, uh and just doing stuff that i that i feel is uh is within where i can set the, the, the boundaries for what's happening on my own instead of it being on, on someone else's premise i think that's that's going to be very healthy for me because i love playing the long shows and i'd rather play a, a two 10-hour shows in a weekend than five two-hour shows so i guess of course that's, that made, that's much more fun
0: <laughs> yeah amazing i love it mm-hmm. And um, you you mentioned a while back there that you did you so you've recently moved. Have you moved house and you've moved studio as well?
1: So, I had a, a an apartment and a studio separately before, but I just realized I was paying shitloads of money for a studio which I was never in. So I, I moved to <laughs> a, a bigger place and then I have the studio in the house, which is a which is a weird thing because usually when you start producing you kind of want to move the studio out of the house <laughs> and now i moved it back in but it uh, it's it's really good yeah gotta say it's it's been a it's been a life changer just the fact that and I have you got p- a good cat. Uh- I can walk in. Sorry, go ahead. Make make records in my underpants. That's incredible. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. And have you got a good kitchen in the new place? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's really nice. It's sadly it's induction, not gas, which I really enjoyed before. But then I do have a new barbecue which is which is Amazing. Amazing.
0: I've been been lucky enough to spend at least a a couple of nights on the barbecue with you, but one in particular the night we went when we were in Ibiza and you took me up to your villa and you just literally spent all night cooking and I think I spent all night eating. And uh, I was pretty blown away by your culinary expertise. Um, Yeah, what have you been cooking up lately?
1: I've been um, trying to minimize a little bit I've, I've I've spent a lot of time really being into fine dining and really being into sort of high-end cuisine and, and i was digging into that a lot and then the last couple of years have kind of gone the other way i've been really getting into getting the right produce high quality biodynamic or organic produce that's close to where i live and trying to do the right Amazing. thing with it and we have incredible produce in denmark we're very lucky uh, that we can get deliveries and, you know, we can go to the farms and get, get what we need and good, good eggs and such. And for a long time there, you know, the, the, the supermarkets team tend to not be focusing much on the quality of the produce. So that's what I've been getting into a lot, you know, sort of also buying locally and, and speaking to a lot of people that are, are involved in, uh, in producing in, uh, in Denmark. So that's been really a lot of fun.
0: You, you're obviously ruined because the fact that you've been on Celebrity Master Chef a few times, you you know you're you're a bit of an expert in the kitchen, but you're also someone that has struck me as, you seem to have a lot of joy in every part of the process. I mean, I'm talking from like, going out and buying the food and prepping it. I remember that that night we were in Ibiza, you just had a big smile on your face while you were cutting stuff up all the time. It's not just like the actual cooking; that's it's the whole process. It seems to make you happy.
1: Absolutely, it's um, it's. It's funny because it's such a thing that's impossible to combine with touring life really so when it finally happens when i was able to cook for you it's uh it's an absolute joy but it's it's also the company it's the whole process of being together and doing something that you know that 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 people are part of you know us having a beer while i'm doing something preparing something and also just if your freedom of having good produce and then Deciding what to do with them, sort of on a whim, instead of planning everything ahead. I, I really enjoy that. I've got to say, it's it's a uh, it's like free jazz to be.
0: <laughs> <laughs> awesome, and yeah, you're you're obviously as well, Rune. Something I've noticed is with food and with cooking as well. You've it's it's a very like social thing for you. You mm. always want to like be around people and like everybody to be experiencing the joy that you're experiencing while you're cooking and serving and what's your what's your philosophy on food
1: i mean there's no real philosophy on food as such i i, I just want it to be good you know uh, that's all realistically it can be a, a burger can be incredible or a vegetarian or vegan meal can be incredible it's all about the time and effort you put into it and i really I'm, i there's nothing worse than a wasted meal I, it really bothers me when someone hasn't done amazing it. no but it's just the fact well it's not even the meal that's wasted because that would be more from an egotistical standpoint just the fact that you'd be wasting good produce or not preparing it properly or giving it the time that it should and that annoys me a lot I can't It just me <laughs> crazy you know we go to a restaurant and it's just not good enough oh man yeah <laughs> <laughs> that
0: sucks man have you um ha- Have you always been into cooking as something you've done from you were a child? Or is is it like something you developed as you got older?
1: Um, When I was a kid, I would be home alone quite a bit because my mom would work a a night job and I'd have to cook myself. So some of it came from that. But realistically, when I discovered that it was something that I was into was I, um, I became a consciential denier in Denmark. Uh, I didn't want to go to the military, so I decided to do uh work uh that was was similar they send you to different places here like public public housing stuff like that and you have to help out you know and i' I was in a communal house where you know you'd have different classes where people would go or have different meetings and such and they had a little cafe there but also the most important thing is they had a they had a big kitchen and three times a week we'd cook for the homeless and for people that didn't have much money so we do big meals three times a week and that's where it really started so I spent a year cooking three times a, a day for about 50 60 people every time and that's where a lot of the techniques came in and and just managing the produce and 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 being a bit frugal with with what you have
0: that's incredible mate what what kind of stuff were you cooking for for like back in those places where
1: you're helping homeless and stuff it was i mean it was fairly I'd say it was fairly rudimental stuff. It would be like a lasagna or something that you could serve in big portions. Um, but I think we were already very focused on it having to be good at the time. You know, using using a lot, spending a lot of time and getting it right. That the the flavors, you know, acidity, sweetness, uh, get get that sorted. Because either way, you look at it. I mean, any meal, be it the cheapest, can taste good or bad. And I I really learned a lot about getting it right. Sadly, the the woman who was running the place passed away um, some years back, but she was incredible. She would just, you know, no, she would just send it back straight away and go, look, that's not, a, that's not, a, that's not okay. It doesn't matter how much they pay for it. It has to be good.
0: <laughs> Amazing. That's awesome. And um, when you're cooking now, are you are you adventurous with flavor combinations?
1: Always. And it goes dramatically wrong at times. <laughs> <laughs> is there a is there a
0: combo or food pairing that you've pulled off that's really surprised you uh
1: i would say i uh yes actually um i've been really digging into well it's spring here so you get a lot of the the new produce coming in i've been digging into doing uh sauces with pea pods which is yeah the 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 Pot of the Peas, it ha- kind of has a weird, when you blend it up and you you filter it and you um, filter it, usually I blend it with oil. And then uh, it has this weird, it kind of tastes like grass smells, which sounds weird. Really? But it has a super, super yeah. fresh, uh, very <laughs> summery vibe with it. It works really well with, with for instance, smoked potatoes or you get the contrast of uh, of flavors that's super interesting. And I've been digging that a lot, you know, combined with chili. Uh, I've been doing a lot of chili sauces. I did um, variations of kimchi here the other day, which was trying to use different cabbages. Usually, traditionally, you'd only use the Chinese cabbage for kimchi, but I've been using savoy cabbage and all kinds of other stuff just to see if it works. And it's it's a lot of fun to just experiment. And uh, so far, so far, so good.
0: (laughs) Good, and I mean kimchi is so healthy for you. It's like one of the best things you can have for your gut. Exactly. In regard to promoting good good gut bacteria absolutely uh is there is there a particular dish that reminds you of your childhood at all
1: um i think it would be you know the christmas turkey for my grandmother's place the classic yeah you know dried irish christmas turkey with with the lumpy gravy <laughs> and uh <laughs> the turnips you, you know you know yeah. exactly what i mean <laughs>
0: I know exactly, <laughs>
1: and it's it's one of those oh, meals. Odd. It's one of those meals I never thought I'd miss, but then I really do now. Because again, it wasn't never really about the meal; it was about the company. You know, it's about Granny. Yeah, you know, telling uh, the emotion tell, it, exactly. You know, sitting in the, uh, the the living room with the plastic covered furniture. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. I think I think you know, there's there's such a high um, percentage of people that if you ask them what's your favorite meal? I think it's something like 70% or something will answer with my mother's such and such. Yeah. And what it actually relates to is they have just this emotion that they feel when they think about their mom cooking something for them because it, it, there was so much love put into that particular yeah. dish. And um, yeah, I mean, cooking's all about, and and serving food for me is all about the emotion that's attached to it. That's how you remember it. Like you can eat, some really nice food and if you're with a shit person, then you're, you're it's not going to leave a good experience for I you. Had a,
1: I had a crazy experience a couple of years back, but um, I was in a restaurant and uh, I had a dish and I was super happy, I was in a good place and I, I remember eating the dish and suddenly I just had tears flying out my eyes. And I was like, "What's going on?" You know, and 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 the reason why was because that dish tasted exactly like um, the dish that my dad used to make for me when uh, he passed away in two thousand four of a of a brain tumor. Yeah, but he used to make that dish, and hadn't I hadn't had it for thirty years, and suddenly I was like, those the memories they just bypassed my brain completely and went straight into that. That weird place, you know, like what's what's going on, you know. I feel it feels odd. Yeah, <laughs> and I was I was yeah, pretty. I was, that's you know, incredible. <laughs> it's so it's it, that's what that's what food can do to you. It's like a memory yeah. bank.
0: Absolutely. Okay, yeah, that's that's crazy. That's that's a such a powerful experience. Um, you you've obviously been lucky as well, Rune, in that like you've traveled to so many different countries and tried so many different cuisines. And one of the things I've always loved about talking to you about other countries cuisines is you've always stressed to me sometimes that some of the best food you've had has been like street food oh yeah absolutely and it's uh what countries and what what countries in particular stand out for you street food like street i
1: have a I have a huge love for uh for thai food and bangkok in specific you know the street food scene there is incredible i mean there's just good food on every corner and I mean, Singapore obviously is one of the street food meccas in the world. But I mean, anywhere you go, really, the problem is in, in in Europe, you don't have much of a street food scene. But even if you in America, you can get you can find incredible stuff. Mexico, obviously, yeah. all the taco stands and such. And it's funny because people are really scared of it. You know, they're they're worried that they'll uh, they'll have a bad experience. But I always say you have to remember that first of all street food stands have been there for years. If they were serving bad food, they would be out of business in one day. And also the food is so fresh because they can't refrigerate it. You know, For instance, if you have food in, in, in Thailand on the streets, they only have so-and-so much for that particular day or for that time. And when they run out, they run out. So it's actually fresher than what you'd get in a restaurant by miles, you know.
0: Amazing. Yeah, I, I remember like being in Bangkok as well on Kosan Road. And buying this pad thai, and it was literally like less than fifty cents. And I was just like, "This is actually quite possibly one of the greatest things I've ever yeah, put in my mouth." Exactly. You know, just and it's just yeah, served in a plastic bag, literally. You know, like a little white styrofoam cup with a. We used to, we yeah. used to
1: we used to go and eat our way through to different street food areas, and we'd go, "All right, let's <laughs> we'll start here, we'll go there." I remember one situation in particular where, well, obviously nobody spoke English, which is fair enough, where it's a different country and such, but we were uh, we were going to have some food and we went to this stall and it was full of of of, of elderly women and uh, i was pointing at one <laughs> one particular curry and she goes no that's not for you and i'm like well, obviously that's what i'm gonna have <laughs> i'm gonna have to try yeah. this particular curry and uh, it was really good. Uh, and but the funny thing is that the, the woman that ran the stall called her friend of, uh, on the other side and wrote, "Yeah, come on, bring over some iced tea or something. These guys are going to be completely sweating balls in a second. And uh, <laughs> and and then we had the food, and it was it was fish gut curry, which is a pecu- it's kind of a peculiar taste, but it was really really good. And they were so surprised that we'd actually eat it, you know, and they're like, wow, wow, you really like this stuff. (laughs) And it it actually ended up us having a conversation with these, these grannies for a good couple of hours afterwards. None of them spoke English, but one could write in English. So she would pass back and forth notes that we would then answer and at the time it was there's always a lot of political unrest in 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 thailand but at the time there was a a lot of talk about the blue jackets and this kind of thing and she was sending these north back and it was it was was such a gateway into a different world and a different experience and 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 people that you would never ever meet normally
0: yeah yeah and run given the fact that you're such a foodie and you see the social benefit of people eating together and stuff. How do you feel about, there seems to be lately a total explosion of like Uber Eats. And one of the things I've noticed, um, probably not so much in me or your generation, but maybe the generation below us where a lot of the share houses, there seems to be a culture of people eat Uber Eats and then go in and eat in their bedrooms. And like, it just seems to be, there seems to be a lot of disconnect. It's, almost going missing you know between technology and like i feel like people are missing out on some of the best experiences and social dynamics that they could you know have especially especially now
1: Mm. Uh, yeah i mean in all honesty i do use we in denmark we have this thing called vault which is basically uber eats i do use it quite a lot when i'm not when i can't be bothered to to cook um but I've yep. also I've also come to realize by the time the food is delivered, I could have cooked something probably even better. <laughs> 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 no, I don't know. I think there's a general tendency which I'm a little torn between because it seems to me that a lot of the younger generation are very very good at, uh, you know what would you say in business you'd say they're they're handing out all the 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 tasks you know for instance a lot of people don't have driver's licenses because they're driving ubers you know they don't they don't cook because they can order food in um you know every every it it, i'm not sure whether it's genius or just convenience you know does it make sense to 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 sublet all those activities and and step away from the actual task, or are they missing out on something? Maybe I'm completely wrong. Maybe I've wasted my time on trying to to cook dishes.
0: You definitely have not wasted your time <laughs> trying to cook, mate. I can tell you, the world needs you as a cook and not just a studio guy as well. But isn't it? it um, it's, it's,
1: but it's a similar mentality to to ghost producing, really, isn't it? You know. You, yeah,
0: yeah, it is actually. It is. Yeah. Somehow, and as you said, ruin it.
1: It's interesting that you have someone creating something that artistically is for you. I'm not sure. I mean, it's it's a complex discussion. I, I'll, I'll, I'll grant you that, but I think there's something to the fact that you know not being hands-on with every element in your life is. I, I personally, I, I enjoy that. You know, I enjoy doing the dishes. Yeah. I enjoy washing my clothes. I enjoy all those elements of life, and I think that's 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 part of being human.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. What's your um what's your go-to comfort food?
1: Um go-to comfort food. You know what I usually eat nam tok at least 3 times a week. I'm like a Really? 3 yeah, <laughs> I love I love uh, Isan. For the listeners' Rune, will you explain what Nam Tok is again? So Nam Tok is a is a, is a North Thai dish, which is basically a, a salad that consists of a protein and uh, a lot of herbs, and it's it's pretty spicy. So it's a, it's like a you, you could call it a meat salad if you want, but then you can also do it with seafood if you if you prefer. But the beauty of the dish is that it is the perfect balance between acidity, spiciness, sweetness. It has all those elements. And I really, really love that. Amazing. Do you make it at home yourself? I've, I've tried, but realistically, it's uh, it, it's it's fairly complex to get right. Um, so I usually just order it or go to the restaurant and have a chat with the. There's a really great Thai place around the corner from here. So when they're open, we'll go over there and, and, and hang out with them and have a chat. And they're really sweet. Amazing. So.
0: <laughs> awesome. Um, what's, what's your most essential gadget or tool in the kitchen uh a knife
1: (laughs) yeah people underestimate a good knife it is so important to have a good knife you know and and you form a weird bond with the knife uh actually funnily enough speaking of of uh, my dad earlier he gave me a knife when i moved uh um, into my first apartment and i still have that i still use it all the time and every time i use it it's like i still think of him giving it to me and there's just, there's something there. There's this weird, a tool is an incredibly beautiful thing. Actually, I still have my granddad's toolbox. He was a carpenter and he's, uh, there are all these weird homemade tools. Apparently when you were a carpenter in Ireland back in the days, you'd have to make your tools before you would actually start having any, uh, any jobs. <laughs> so if all these weird old school measuring tools and, and weird saws with, with, I mean it's it's an adventure just looking into that but just the fact that he made it is incredible
0: That's awesome man <laughs> so good um, Is there any food that you've had either on the road or in Denmark that you categorically never want to try again?
1: Yes um, I went to Faviken, which was a two star Michelin restaurant in Sweden in the north of Sweden and they had done a uh, a a uh, mutton liver pate, which is possibly the worst thing I've ever tasted in my life. <laughs> it was so disgusting, and I, I nearly seriously, I nearly puked all over the table because it was so bad. It was so 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 bad. Really, yeah. from
0: a, from a two star Michelin yeah. two
1: Michelin star restaurant, that's insane. I got to say, in all honesty, a lot of times that's probably one of the main reasons that I I don't like going to these fine dining restaurants anymore. First of all, I, I hate the pretension. Uh, I want to be able to relax when I eat. But also the fact that out of the 20-odd dishes you're always kind of forced to have, maybe three of them are really good. So I'd rather just have the three instead of having to bite myself through all this this food that really is just not table-ready. I mean, the the experimentation is incredible, and and sometimes it can be just mind-blowing. But I'd say 9 out of 10 is just not...
0: Yeah, doesn't cut it
1: nope
0: <laughs> yeah and uh just wrapping up on the food stuff what are the essentials in your store cupboard
1: uh, I guess the usual uh, the same thing everybody else has um, I've I've had a long uh, a lot of dried herbs you know I've been very much into um, North African food so I've got a lot of uh, like cinnamon, uh, ras al Hanout, which is this this blend from Morocco of, of, of spices. We've got satar, uh, all kinds of different dried chilies, and then obviously the different, you know, herbs which would be oregano and, uh, and and just general dried herbs is good to have. But it's nice to have something something ready to go. And tin tomatoes, of course.
0: Ten tomatoes, that's the <laughs> key, yeah, I think everybody should have a, an apple supply because you can just use them on anything. Exactly,
1: <laughs> exactly.
0: Yeah, good stuff, mate, awesome. Well, uh, Rune, I'm going to start wrapping things up here, but um, I do this little segment at the end of every podcast and it's called Secrets from the Other Half where I've secretly contacted your other half and asked her a question about you. So can you tell me what Polypost is about? What?
1: Polypost
0: a text message, oh. <laughs> a text message?
1: <laughs> oh man that's a that's a that's a funny story well it's um it's it's basically uh a thing that we used to do when we were a bit younger where uh if if one was in the bathroom we'd pass notes under the bathroom door to uh to communicate <laughs> 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 which is pretty funny Amazing. isn't it
0: <laughs> Yeah, yeah, she mentioned something like that to me. Yeah, I, was, I thought that was awesome. Yeah, no, that's great, Rune. Absolute pleasure having you on, man. And, you know, it's great to get an insight into how an artist is, you know, coping with lockdown, how you've been creative, how your mental health's been, because this is obviously kind of the problems that a lot of other people are experiencing right now. Yeah. And it's great to hear as well that you feel like your health's in a good place and you've you've got a, a lot of... Um, perspective on how you want to see your life going forward as well with the touring and being more protective of your own space and sleep and stuff like that there um finally just to ask all my guests this at the end of the podcast what is rune riley cost doing to raise the vibration getting blind for the blind of course <laughs> getting blind for the blind i have to say you've you've been you've been an absolute gem mate like in uh for, for the listeners out there many of them will know but we've done You've done, I've lost count of the amount of charity shows you've done for me and for the Fred Hollows Foundation. And we're, yeah, something that is very important is all out here. And we've managed to, uh, yeah, between us all, like restore a lot of people's eyesight. But you've been very, very generous with your time. And it's something I'm very, very appreciative of. And uh, no doubt I'll be winging on you into another Fred
1: Hollows show as soon as you come back the next time. <laughs> Anytime. And you know what the funny thing about the whole Thing is I remember you and I standing at, at, at the Revolver counting how many people's eyesight we'd saved that night, which is insane to even say that. But a friend of yeah. mine had the exact same operation in Denmark, and he said that it would have, if it wasn't for uh, for public health service here, it would have cost him 20,000 euros. The same operation.
0: Really? Yeah. Yeah, that's insane. It's, it's insane. And I, I got I, I to got start. I was talking to the Fred Hall's team not long ago when they said, that they were able to identify that for every person whose eyesight they restore, it directly affects the lives of five other people, carers, yeah. parents, children. So, you know, I mean, I, there's been, there's been shows I've done with you where we've raised over 25 grand in one night, which is a thousand people's eyesight. So we're effectively directly affecting the lives of 5,000 people. So yeah, I mean, like, you know, we're, we're very, very thankful that you've been so generous with your time and, As you said, like, well, I'm really looking forward to sinking a few cold ones with you and getting blind for the blind pretty soon. (laughs) Pleasure to have you on, my man. And we'll go for a run with Carl as well. (laughs) Awesome, mate. Run, thanks very much. And I really appreciate you coming on today and stay safe, my man. Oh, you too. Have a good one.